Thanks for listening to one of our messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in person and online. To find out more about our church or to connect to any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. Welcome to Crossroads this morning. If we haven't met, my name's Charlie. I've been gone for like a month. Uh, And it's so good to be back. If you are watching online, you can comment or just reach out to us if you want to get connected or need prayer if you're in the room. It's good to see you. It is Memorial Day weekend. Before we get into some text this morning, um, I just want to say we live in a country, God has been gracious enough to let us live in a country where we have freedom, freedom of expression and freedom of religion, and that comes at a cost. And so today is a day where we remember this weekend is a weekend where we remember those that have made the ultimate sacrifice for our good. And really when we talk about the parallels between our country and our faith, we are citizens of the kingdom of God first and foremost, but also at the same time, our faith is built around the idea that someone served and gave the ultimate sacrifice so that we could find life. And so in this weekend of Memorial Day, we are thankful for those that have gone before, that gave so that we can receive. If you know people that have given, if you know people that have served, reach out and tell them they're loved, tell them you're thinking and praying for them. We certainly are this weekend. We're going to kick off our morning by doing what we do. We're going to pray for us as we open some text. We live in an increasingly critical culture, and we come to this space right here, right now, and we expect God to show up. We've just done an eight-week series on the Holy Spirit, how he's near and present and active, which means he does not take a day off, which means God's going to speak to us this morning. And what we do when we come through these doors or watch online is we stop down and we ask, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me today? And we take off the critical lens through which our culture processes information, and we try this morning to to contribute to the conversation of faith. And so we're going to start by praying for that. We're going to start by praying that God might teach us something. We're going to start by praying that God might use me to show us some of his goodness. So pray with me this morning. God, I'm thankful to be here today. I'm thankful to worship. I'm thankful to read scripture. I'm thankful to interact with the divine. I'm thankful to remember that there's a bigger, greater, more joyous story unfolding all around me that that is way bigger than me. As we open some text into the Old Testament today, Holy Spirit, guide us and teach us. If you're comfortable, I'd ask that you take 15 or so seconds and just say a silent prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to guide your spirit and teach you this morning. I also ask you to pray for me, that God uses preparation to communicate his goodness this morning, that we might together find out more reasons why we're here worshiping on Sunday. Pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said... Amen. Hey, if you have a Bible, we're kicking off a series this summer in the book of Numbers. And so you can open, we're going to be in number six this morning, so you can go to number six, but we're going to set it up a little bit. The book of Numbers is really a book of transitions and wanderings. 
And, and if I could summarize the last year, it's about transitions and wanderings. And really today, Memorial Day weekend, is kind of a transitional moment for us, right? Uh, so for example, me and my family, this whole month has felt like a transition. So I don't know if you guys know, but this happened in uh, like a month ago. There he is, right? Adorable, right? Looks just like his dad. Uh, it's Bennett James, everybody. Uh, that happened, and we're very, very excited. He's such a good sleeper at our expense. We love him. Um, it's fantastic. And so we've transitioned. My family actually, are, we're closing on a house in Highland Village on Tuesday, so we're coming to the suburbs, everybody. That's right. That's right. I know you're all going to make fun of me, and that's fine, too. It's well-deserved. So it's, it's felt like a place of transition, but not just this month, because here's what transition does. Transition oftentimes leads to, comes before or after, elongated periods of just wandering around. And when I think through the last year, just personally, man, it's felt like I've wandered a lot. I remember last March when I started working from home, and I realized if I want to still be married, I need to fix that and move back to the office, you know? I, I, I remember what it was like to not feel like you knew what was happening next because you kept getting what was going to happen next wrong. Transition oftentimes either leads to or hopefully buttons up some wanderings it has personally. And it's been hard, personally. It's been very difficult to lead through this, to parent through this, <laughs> to, to bring another kid in the world through this. But it's not just a personal transition. As a church, we're transitioning, Right? So today is the last day that you're going to awkwardly stare at the band as they sing a reflection song. And we're very, very happy about that at Crossroads, everybody. We really are. Today is a day where we're going to get up in front and we're going to say, next week we're going to go back to some things we used to do, like sing in the middle of the service and hopefully greet some people and have some coffee so you don't fall asleep when I'm talking at you on Sundays. I remember last March when we first decided to cancel a service on the 15th. And I got up in front of staff and I said, guys, it's going to last maybe two weeks, but by Easter, we will be back in the building, I promise, right? In the Old Testament, prophets that got it wrong were stoned, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it hasn't just been a transition. It's felt fundamentally as an organization, like we've been, well, as a church, that there's been a little bit of wandering because we kept getting it wrong time and time again and just trying to love people well through the unknown and the uncertainty. And let me tell you something. I've been here for 12 years. I've been the senior pastor for going on three-ish now. It's been hard. It's been good, but it's been hard, you know? Hard to lead and love people through the unknown and the uncertainty, and that's what wandering brings. And then I think societally where we're at, it's a transition point, and it's one that I'm happy for. When this moment where more people are getting vaccinated, I walked into Costco yesterday without a mask on, and I wasn't the only one, and I started to tear up, and not just because I heard they're bringing back samples, Okay? <laughs> I mean, that's like most of my meal. That is so great. It's this beautiful moment where we're starting to re-engage again. I read last weekend that travel was almost at the same limit, airports and departures and TSA screenings, almost at the same limit as it was in 2019. Things are getting back to where we want them to be. It's this transition moment, but it's been very difficult. It's been wandering. Back in March of last year, Pew Research did a poll. It said more than half of the U.S. adults said so they prayed for an end to the spread of the coronavirus. Large majorities of Americans who pray daily, 86%, and Christians, 73%, have taken to prayer during the outbreak. But so have some who say they never pray or belong to any religion, 15% who say they never play, pray. 24% of atheists said they started praying that coronavirus might end. That was last March. It's been a long year. Here's my question, because it goes into where we're at in numbers. 
when you're in the middle of transition and when you're in the middle of wandering, what makes it difficult is that oftentimes what's ripped away is security and stability. And so we pray and we ask God to show up. What happens when it doesn't, when we want it to? Because we've been wandering, man. <laughs> this Sunday is a transition Sunday when half our church is at a lake house somewhere. We need to plant CBC Cedar Creek for the summer, you know? And, and what we have to do is ask the question, what does God say to those who are wandering? Because Numbers is a book about a people who wander. And the prayer that we're in, the high priestly prayer, the ironic blessing in number six is all about God saying to his people in this transition space, you are about to wander and here are my words for you before you go. Here's what you need to know. This is what God says to his people in the middle of the transitions and in the middle of the wanderings. And he starts in verse 23. He says, the Lord spoke to Moses. Tell Aaron and his sons, this is the way you're supposed to bless the Israelites. And this is what you're going to say to them. And, and let's unpack a little bit and do a little Bible overview in 60 seconds. When he says, this is the way you're to bless the Israelites, that phrase is packed with meaning. If you don't know the story of the Bible, let me sum it up for you. The story of the Bible is the story of God chasing his creation to reconcile them to what they were supposed to be. So often we paint the picture of the Bible as a guidebook to God or a morality code book or a way that we can live our best lives now. And those things might be part of what it is, but it's not all of what it is. I'm in a wedding this evening, right? I'm in the wedding. The wedding is not about me. It's the same kind of deal. The Bible, you are part of God's story, but you are not the center focal point of God's story. The focal point of God's story is God's worship, his renown, his glory, and his redemption of all things, fixing a broken world. And that started in Genesis 12. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are universal. It tells us about us. It says, this is where we came from, and this is the plight of sin that broke the world, and this is where it was left. And in chapter 12, verse 1, God says, I'm going to get really specific. Here's a man. And here's a family. And this is the beginning of my plan to redeem and restore all things. So it starts with Abraham. And he says, I'm going to use you. You're going to have a lot of descendants. And so they started. And 70 years later and 400 years later, they find themselves here. They find themselves on the base of a mountain. After 400 years of enslavement, after 400 years of hard labor, the people of Israel, whom God chose because he's gracious, found themselves here. I find it interesting as you read the Old Testament, we're going to read more in Numbers, but the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for 40 years. They leave and they're making their way to Sinai before Heston, Charlton Heston got up and got the Ten Commandments. And right before they did that time and time again, as they're traveling, they say, can we just go back to Egypt? It was better there. Where they were enslaved. It was hard labor, not easy labor. It just goes to show you how hard sometimes transition and wanderings are. It goes to show you how hard sometimes it is when stability and security are ripped away. And that's what the wilderness does. That's what wandering does. They say, can we please just go back to a harder life because it's a known life? When I lived in Chicago, I worked with a few homeless shelters. And I always thought to myself, as a Dallas boy, born and raised, why would you choose to be homeless? First of all, I don't think people do, by the way. But why would you stay homeless in Chicago, move to Austin, you know? But here's the deal is because even though your life isn't ideal, you have stability and security where you're at. And so you live in worse conditions because those things are what we're wired for. So it makes wandering so hard, they're taken away. And so Israel is camping at the base of this mountain for one year. They had some stability. And the book of Numbers begins by God saying, you're about to move. 
So they spent 400 years in Egypt. They spent a year at this mountain learning from God, learning how to relate to God. And in Numbers, he says, now you're going to move. And where we're going to be, this first 10 chapters that I'm going to summarize, where are you going to be? It takes 20 days for them to pack their bags and start moving. And you might say, that sounds like a long time, but there was a couple million of them. And they started by counting everybody because Moses was probably an old youth pastor and he knows if you lose a kid, you lose your job. So he really needed to count everybody, you know? He counts everybody and he, he takes a toll of who his people are and how they're supposed to go. And he says, we got to gather all of our stuff up. And so it starts in Numbers chapter one. He said, start by counting people and you're going to go when I go, when my cloud, my spirit, my presence leads you. And so here's where we're at. They're about to leave. He's given them some instructions. And he says, before you go, this is what I say to you. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. He starts with this idea of blessing and protection. Blessing there in the Old Testament, it comes around 400 times. God blesses people around 80 of those times. Blessing, simply put, is giving someone something they couldn't get on their own. It's a superior saying to an inferior, I'm going to give you something you couldn't get on your own. It literally in the original language means that you're going to abundantly benefit. Not just you're going to survive, you're going to thrive. I think one of the things we fear when we wander is our ability to survive. If we don't know what's next, if we don't know where food comes from, if we don't know where money comes from, if we don't know if we have a job in two months, if we don't know if our church is going to open back up again, if we don't know, this idea of blessing is intrinsic to this idea of wandering. God is saying to his people, you're going to go, but this is what I want you to know. May I bless you as you go. May I benefit you as you go. And he's going to outline what that looks like. And the first thing he says, I'm going to bless you and keep you. That word keep there, some different translations, it, it literally means to protect or defend. So you've got to understand, as, as Israel walked for a few days and then 40 years that we'll get into, they were always surrounded by enemies. They were never in their own territory. They were vulnerable and they were relatively small compared to the rulers around them. So they were always in a defensive position. They always felt vulnerable. And so he says, I'm going to keep you. And I think when we're wandering fundamentally, we fear for our safety because stability is taken away. This year alone, societally, um, we've seen an increase in violent crimes. We've seen an increase in crime across this country because of all the instability around us. There's a couple different stats and polls you can pull from out there, but basically it says that this year is going to be the worst year in about 20 years for gun violence in our country. It's just when you ask people about how crime is going, Pew Research has done this since 1993, and about every year people say that crime is worse, but really since the mid-90s in our country, crime has gotten better every year. But this year, about 73% of Americans said crime is worse than it was last year. We're afraid, because that's what happens when you wander. So in the middle of this moment, when they're about to pick up and go to somewhere they've never been before, God says, I'm going to, one, provide for you, and two, I'm going to protect you. He's meeting them in the middle of their fears. And in the first 10 chapters, as they're packing up, before they start um, to their first destination, what we see is God show them these things. So in chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, and then 8 and 9, what we, what we see there is the cleansing of his people. And so when you ask the question, how does God protect his people? The first thing you have to understand is God protects his people through the Levitical law in the Old Testament. It's the holiness code. 
back before the coronavirus pandemic started, we were in a riveting series on Leviticus. <clears throat> and God wanted to stop that, and so we brought a global pandemic. Um, and one of the themes, as you look at Leviticus, is, isn't just that God sets limits because he wants to see if you'll obey. That is not a good, loving father. God sets limits because limits define what love is. And you know that if you have a kid, right? You just know that. I don't have to explain it. I will. But if you have a kid, you set limits not because you want to limit their joy. You set limits because limits increase their joy if they know what's good for them and allows you to love them well. Yesterday, my daughter was in the backyard. She has this water table and... It had been rained on for the last, it hasn't stopped raining in a while. And the water was like gross. It was growing things, bad things. Like this thing is about five inches deep and you couldn't see to the bottom because I'm a good father. And um, she's over there playing in it. And, and my daughter's two and a half years old. Everything that goes on her hands goes in her mouth. I'm trying to mow the lawn. And um, I said, hey, EJ, you can't play with that. And she just lost her mind because <clears throat> she's rational. And... I said, hey, you can't play with that. It's dirty water. It's going to get really bad. You're going to get sick. And she couldn't get it, couldn't get it. I said, let me get you new water. Losing her mind, losing your mind. The point is simply, we set limits like God because we love, not because we want to limit joy. And so one of the first things God does as he talks about to his people about how he's going to protect them is in the first 10 chapters, he reminds them of the goodness and the benefit of holiness. And so in those chapters, we're not going to get into specifics, but you'll see how he, he says, these are my priestly people that enforce the holiness code. In chapter five, he's going to talk about, here's some community stuff we're going to hit on, just with jealousy and marriage and in relationships and how to deal with that because he knows, he knows that if they lived like pagans, they would live like pagans and it wouldn't end well for them. And so he says, you might be blessed in that you might be kept, you might be protected. And the first way I'm going to do that is that you might remember the limits I set for you because I love you, not because I want to limit your joy. But that word keep also means something else. He continues on. He says, may your face shine upon you, right? May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. So he keeps them by his Levitical law of holiness, the right way to live in God's rightly ordered world. And then he says, may his face, my face, shine upon you. Tell the scriptures, when you see the phrase, may your face shine upon, what that really means is may the presence of God go with you. In a couple different places in the Old Testament, Exodus 33 for one, you see God say that my face is going to go before you. And the way they've translated that Hebrew word is just my presence will go with you. So when we talk about the face of God shining on the people of God, what we're talking about is the presence of God to go with the people of God. There's a purpose there. And so he outlines in chapters 2 of this uh, first 10 chapters, he outlines what the tabernacle looks like, how they camped. And you might say, if you're reading it, and you don't know a ton about the Old Testament, you might say, this is really boring, and this is why people stop their Bible in a year plan. Sure. But what you have to understand is the purpose behind it. God was extremely intentional on how he said you're going to camp. You couldn't just set up camp wherever you wanted next to your friends. He says, this is what your camp's going to look like every time you stop. And in the middle of that camp was the tabernacle, was the temple, was, was the place where God's spirit dwelt, right in the center. And around them was all the 12 tribes. Around them they camped. In the center was the presence of God. He says, my face is going to shine on you, meaning my presence will be with you. 
They came from Egypt, and the way that Egypt camp, when they took off as a nation, was they would put their king and their generals in the middle, because that's what centered them as a people, and that's what defended them when they had problems. You put the most important thing in the middle that you looked up and looked forward to, and God says, here's the difference between Egypt and me. I, my presence, will be in the middle, because I, my presence, will defend and fight for you. I will protect you, because I will be with you. And that's the hard part. So often in the transitions and in the wanderings, when we pray and we don't hear an answer, when atheists pray and they don't hear an answer, the default answer is God left me and he's not with me and he can't defend me. But God's saying to his people, remember this blessing. This blessing that, by the way, they said every morning when they got up together. They said every night when they went to bed together. As a people, every time they gathered, they said this blessing as they wandered for 40 years. They said, may the Lord bless and keep you. May his face shine on you and give you and give graciously to you. Then that flows into the why behind God's giving, which is always something we need to remember, that God always gives because he's gracious, not because we're good enough. And you might say, well, that makes me feel worse. Yeah, but it makes God so much better, doesn't it? It makes his majesty and his love for you so much richer and deeper, and it makes the cost that I have to pay so much less, and it's what I'm willing to pay because the love of God is so incredibly great. And so he's saying, this is what my people are. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to provide for them. I'm going to keep them. I'm going to protect them as they live into my right ways and my rightly ordered world, and as my presence goes with them and fights their battles. So in the middle of this wandering, he's saying, I, God, will provide and protect. And then he ends it by saying, may the Lord lift his countenance on you and give you peace. That phrasing there, may he lift his countenance, is related to his face to shine upon you, but it's a little different. When it says, may his countenance be lifted on you, that means literally may his full attention be given to you. And there's a difference between the presence of God going with you in kind of a half-hearted way, which God doesn't do, by the way, or the presence of God going with you fully staring at you being known. My daughter, that's two and a half, is struggling with the baby brother. She loves her baby brother so, so much. But she also loves to punch her baby brother in the face. And... um, we were trying to talk about it the other day, and we're putting her down for a nap, and my wife says, what book do you want to read? And she said, I want to read the book where Big Sister's punching baby brother. We don't own that book, everybody, okay? It's not a book somebody wrote. It's a book called Big Sister, where Big Sister's giving baby brother like a present, but in my daughter's mind, it's, I want to read that one. I like that Big Sister. She's fantastic, you know? So we're going back and forth, and my wife is saying, hey, well, why, why do you feel like, you know, sometimes, because she loves him really well. She hugs him and kisses him. Why do you feel like you want to hit baby brother? Is it because you're sad? No. Is it because you're mad? No. Is it because mom and dad aren't paying attention to you? Yes. Right? And then we go through that again, and she asks again, is it because mom and dad don't pay attention to you? Yes. Right? It's the idea that we really have to recalibrate in the middle of the wandering when we feel so lost and when stability and security is taken away. We feel like God has left us. We feel like God's attention isn't on us. So in the middle of that moment for his people, he looks at them and says every morning when they say it, Every night when they say it, may God provide, protect, and may God give you his full attention because he hasn't left. That's important to know. There's a story in the Old Testament 
Abraham that we talked about earlier, couldn't have kids, and then he had a kid with his maid. It didn't end well for him. And his wife got jealous, and so they sent the maid and uh, her kid off into the wilderness. And usually, again, wilderness wandering, usually if you were a woman at that point and you had a kid and you got sent off like that, it didn't end well. You probably were going to die. <laughs> and in that moment, God meets Hagar, that's her name. God meets her and says, I see you. And so there's these different names of God in the Old Testament reflecting the character of God. And so she said, this is the God, this is the God who sees me fully. So God's saying here, may I go before you to protect and provide and I will lift my countenance. I will give you my full attention. And do you know what the full attention of God does to the people of God who recognize we have it? It gives you peace. If we fully trust a God who provides and protects when we realize that he's not looking away or distracted when we know that he stares right at us in the places where we feel like we're looked over, transitions and wanderings, it gives us peace. And, and the peace of, of God in the Old and New Testament it is not simply a state of being. It's a promise for something better. That's why Jesus gives the disciples his peace when he resurrects. That's why Paul, when he writes his letters to churches, starts with and ends with most of them, grace and peace I give to you. Because peace in the Old Testament, especially this concept of shalom, is the webbing together, the webbing together of all of God's good for all harmony. It's when all things work together to provide the ultimate joy and fulfillment in creation. It gets us back to what we were created for. Peace is the webbing together of God, humans, and creation, in justice, fulfillment, and delight. It's this idea that something better is out there. Peace is a construct we take with us wherever we go because God is with us wherever we are. And he promises this to his people who are wandering. Because this last year, personally and professionally and societally, we felt like we've just been wandering. And what God does for his people that are about to start wandering is remind them that no matter where they go, he's with them. So no matter where they go, they have the peace of God that promises better. It's a beautiful reminder for his people went off and wandered for 40 years. So they said it every single day. And so we look to this passage and we look to this text and we remind ourselves, because this book, really, it's not really a happy book. This book is all the times when his people forgot this blessing. And this summer, we're going to look at all those times and we're going to remind ourselves, what are the things that take us away from remembering that in the middle of the wanderings, God provides and he protects and he gives peace? What are the things that take us away from being reminded that God is our good? What are the things that take us away from knowing that even though we wander, we are not lost because God is with us? What are those things? It's a story I need to tell myself this year. So at CBC, we've had some conversations lately. Our budget calendar is June to June, and so we are in the middle of budget season. And, and you should do that with a new baby and no sleep. And so we are in the middle of budget season, and so we're forecasting to next year and looking back on last year. And one of the questions I ask when I meet with some staff is, hey, where did you see God move last year, and how is it changing what you're doing next year? How is it affecting it? But it's this idea this week that oftentimes when we wander, we feel like God has left us, but really when you look back, when the story is done at the end of Numbers, what you see is that God never left his people. He led them in the middle of the wilderness. That's a different perspective we need to carry with us. Because maybe we, like the people in Israel, like Aaron said over his people, need to remember that God will bless us and keep us. 
He'll make his face shine upon us and he'll be gracious to us. He'll lift his countenance upon us and that will bring peace. So I asked some of our team, where have you seen God move this year? Where have you seen God lead us this year? And a year that's been so hard to see it on this day that's kind of a transition into a new series, into a summer, into all the things we're doing. Where have you seen God lead? And a couple I just wanted to share with you. The first one's pretty long, but I thought it was good. Um, so our communications director, Stephanie Thrasher, uh, wrote, and you got to understand, when this hit, <laughs> we don't have a communications team. We have one person, okay? And, and really, if you knew Crossroads before a year ago, we, we had a podcast, and that was just about it. That was as, as, as up-to-date we get with technology. And so she said, this is how I've seen God lead. She said, I still remember driving home from Odessa to see my in-laws. It was March and we just found out school wasn't returning after spring break like we imagined. Pro sports had been canceled, and we were headed home to get groceries before everything shut down. The elders and staff at CBC were talking about the wisdom and how to move forward in the immediate future and decided we need to cancel services. Just for a week or two until things got under control. That's because I was wrong. <laughs> As weeks went on, it became clear that things wouldn't be returning to normal like we thought for the foreseeable future and we may not be able to meet again as a church for some time. She said, honestly, as someone who's seen, attending, who's seen and attended CBC as a concept for my 30-plus years, the thought of this left me unsettling at best and devastating at worst. But God reminded me of so many things, both personally and within my ministry at CBC. He reminded me that the church is his people, and that he's our leader. Our firm footing should be in him and not in a building, a program, or a job that we can worship him in any, in any setting because he is good. At first, he provided the opportunity for us to create house church Sundays. Three of us would meet, socially distant, to record our sermons, our sermons, yeah. Um, Andy and Jamie, the precious with like a week old baby, recorded music at their house. It was hard work and long hours, but I felt we were being called to patience and faith. I felt that I was playing some small part in connecting our church body together in a time of severe disconnection, both literally and physically. While it wasn't the same as meeting corporately, there was a special sweetness to meeting at home with my family those weeks. Then a new daunting task became apparent. We were going to open the church doors, and many wouldn't be able to meet with us for lots of reasons, so we had to figure out a way to live stream our service to people watching at home, and we needed to do it fast. While several of us felt like we were walking into this blind, God provided us an amazing company to help us figure it out and get it done quickly. He calmed my anxious heart many times. I felt like he was asking me to just take one step at a time and he would help show me the next step. It's been a wild ride, but I'm so thankful for God's consistent presence and provision to get us where we are today. Now with live stream capability, people in our community as well as people from all over the world can be connected to CBC and most importantly find hope in Jesus. God didn't leave us, he led us. Talk to Kara, our children's pastor, about it. She said one of the best things that's happened as she's seen God lead is now we kind of flipped the script on how we do children's ministry and we have more parents involved with children's ministry than we ever have before and more buy-in and that's so incredibly sweet. I don't know if you got to watch the baptisms last weekend, but we had two parents baptize their, their, uh, their kids and there were so many tears. I baptized somebody and I didn't cry. I did it first and I looked at them afterwards and said, if I would have known it would have been this emotional, I would have squeezed a tear out of two. I feel like you got shortchanged, you know? <laughs> My bad. <laughs> 
But it was amazing because of the buy. And then after that, they had a party and they celebrated with their friends and their families and their parents and other leaders because here's what we do as a church. We don't just teach your kids about Jesus. We teach families how to follow Jesus together. That's the point and purpose of the church. And we've seen more of that happen in the last year than we had in previous ones because God hasn't left us. God is leading us. Nick, our youth pastor, said this. He said, this past year, God has answered my prayers by bringing us new students who show up consistently ready to grow in their love for Jesus and others. I was certain this last year would make youth ministry impossible, but in fact, God has led us into a season where it's better than it's ever been. In the beginning, it definitely felt like we were wandering aimlessly, but it turns out God was leading us right where we needed to be. It's a beautiful picture that as God goes before, as God keeps, as God blesses, as God's face shines on, as he lifts his countenance and gives us peace, it's this beautiful reminder that we don't wander and and be lost, that we have God that goes with us. And if you look at how the tabernacle was structured, that they're going to live in for the next 40 years, every tribe got a space except for the Levites. The Levites were the priests. The Levites were the representatives between his people and God. The Levites camped around the entire camp. When they got to the land, even, in Joshua, the Levites didn't get a plot of land. He said, you're going to live in and among the people. You know why? Because the people of God are always supposed to be with the people that need God. The church is not a stagnant organization. (laughs) The church never should be promised stability or security. We're promised the presence of God as we take the message and the hope of the gospel into a people that need it most. And it's these last years that show us that God is with us in good. It's these last years that promise us that no matter where we go next, we have God that goes before us and goes with us. It's these years that remind the church of our purpose, to take the hope of Jesus to a hurting world. It's these last years, as hard as they are, that give us confidence in who God is and remind us why we should trust him in the first place. Because we are the people of God. We are the church of God. We represent the hope of God to a world that needs hope these last years. Show us that. So we get to be a people who might wander now and next week and the week after that and know that we're not lost because God goes with us. Let me pray. God, I'm thankful for your presence and your promises that you go before us and that you provide for us and you protect us and all those things together gives us peace when people look around and say, I don't have any of it. I'm thankful that you're with us, that we get to be a people that even though we wander, we are never lost because we're defined by your presence. As we think through our last years to this last year, Holy Spirit, help us to see the ways that you have led us and not left us you've gone before us, that you've fought for us and provided for us. Might we be a church that declares a God that leads his people and doesn't leave them? Might we be a church that shows people the goodness of God in hard times and difficult situations? Might we be a church that wanders but is never lost? And we pray these things in the name of Jesus.